electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber here at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer's at the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, gearing up for a special Veterans Day show. Obviously, a lot to come with Jim later on today. In the meantime, bulls looking to hold what is already the best month for the Dow since June after only five trading days. Got Disney earnings, a good batch of upgrades, better trade data out of China and Germany, although Europe is in the red. Ten-year yield near 195. That yield has moved 30 basis points since last week's Fed meeting. Our roadmap begins with uh, Disney and the streaming wars, deals with Amazon and Apple, as well as a 52% surge in studio. Shares are up 5% ahead of the belt. Plus, billionaire battle Elizabeth Warren staying on the attack, saying they're crying about her wealth tax. This says billionaire Mike Bloomberg considers a run for president. And as we said, closing out a very big week for stocks. New records in reach as investors weigh more China tariff rollback talk. First up, though, Jim, you got a very special show coming up tonight. Yeah, look, I mean, we're at the place, I think, we're epicenter of what I regard as being the new wing of our defense. And that, I'd say that because it was in 1959 when they created this academy. Uh, it's a very special place, and I, I'm glad I have that accompanying music. And we want to talk about not just what's going on here, but what goes on after service, which is why we brought in Kevin Johnson from Starbucks. I say that he's one of the most committed, along with Jamie Dimon, people not just in saying, but in actually doing, hiring people who graduate from military and are looking for jobs. So I'm proud to be here and I'm proud that they're letting us be here. Uh, We've kind of invaded their turf and I can't wait to speak to them. Uh, it is, have you ever been to the, the campus, David? Air Force Academy? You know, many, many years Just ago. Just incredible. Yeah, I know you're, I mean, yep. you grew up not that I, far. My, my parents are maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes from there. But yeah. gorgeous country, Jim. We can't wait, uh, given your history yes. of taking shows on the road, but especially this kind. Uh, it's going to be special to watch. Uh, let's get to kind. Disney. You're too kind, Carl. Uh, let, let's get to Disney. You talked about it with Joe a few moments ago, uh, but the story's well known. Beating on the top and the bottom lines. Results boosted by, as we said, studio entertainment revenue, strong box office this year. The results come just days before Disney Plus goes live on the 12th. Our Julia Borston talked to Iger after the uh, call. Here's what he had to say. We've uh, distribution deals with a number of different entities. Uh, We're pleased to announce today a deal with Amazon. Uh, We have deals with Apple. We have deals with Samsung, with Microsoft, with uh, LG, with Google. So significant, significant uh, you know, progress in terms of distribution deals and Amazon being the latest one. Jim, you're framing uh, Iger's risk-taking move here in some pretty historic terms. Yeah, well, look, I mean, this is the new generation of what has to happen. Think about all those different outlets he has. That's where millennials are. 
uh, millennials, uh, look, we work for Comcast, and Comcast is doing a lot of good things. But when I listen to the lineup of where you're going to get this, it's almost as if you're going to get it and you have to turn it off if you don't want it. It's become, I think, it's going to become a default channel, so to speak. I also love the fact that he said, if we hadn't done this, there really couldn't be a way to survive. That's my interpretation of what he said. But, boy, was he, he was calm, cool, and collected. David, when, when this man goes up against uh, skeptical analysts, I think they just kind of, they melt like the wicked witch of the, well, various West and East. <laughs> yeah, I think he has a lot of confidence in the strategy that he has uh, embraced and been thinking about for a long time. I mean, it was what, that summer of 2015, I guess, when we first started to see uh, the discussion of it in their call. Jim, you remember the weakness, of course, at that time at ESPN. We went on and on about it. He started to wonder whether we were too focused on it, if you recall. But the fact is that he was focused on it as well. Uh, and that a lot of that thinking then led, to, of course, to the transaction to acquire all of those assets from Fox roughly two years ago. Battle with Comcast that took place there, but they ultimately did prevail to where we are right now. And Bob Iger does have a, have a great deal of confidence in the rollout of this strategy. I remember in talking to him on the day that they introduced Disney Plus last spring and him talking about the changing landscape in a significant way and the fact that he needed to embrace it and be there to uh, potentially position the company in the way that it currently is. The questions will remain in terms of the take up rate. To your point, it will be available on all of these platforms, but you're still going to have to have people say they want to buy it. What's the interface going to be in terms of how the ease of use and other things? They've been working on that for some time. Um, but there's no doubt this is going to be a very significant player in these streaming wars as we watch the continued erosion of the bundle, slow but steady. Not even that slow, really, I should say, actually. Certainly not for the direct broadcast satellite companies. Although yesterday, when we heard from Dish, Carl, they only reported 66,000 sub-declines, <laughs> which was not much at all. It's impressive, I guess, uh, yeah. retrospect. But the, the fall-off in linear television watching, Jim, it's happening and it's accelerating. It's, we're, we're losing more viewers off of linear this year than we did the year before, and it's been like that now for a few years. No, it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, let, let's face it. When you listen to that call, there's probably maybe 45 seconds devoted to ESPN. Why? Because ESPN is now like what we used to think about with ABC. I remember when ABC started going down as an importance to the pastiche of Disney. And it was amazing to me to think that, well, that's impossible. If that goes down, it's going to take the company down. Then you, we stopped talking about it other than some scattered pricing. Well, now, I mean, I kept waiting for someone to say, well, wait a second, Bob. ESPN's falling apart, which, by the way, it is not. Uh, instead, he talked about how ESPN Plus has, uh, has Chris Berman, and people love that. I mean, he answers all the objections. I remember when they first opened, uh, well, geez, Walt Disney World, uh, and people said, you know what? Maybe they're giving up on Mickey Mouse. They seem to always reinvent themselves. And these are very difficult, difficult reinventions. It was very interesting. I think the most shocking thing that I just saw in the shot that we had was David was not wearing a tie and Iger wasn't. And it completely threw me even more than the fact that I'm at the Air Force Academy. Well, I am not wearing one because you're not next to me. And I know that that would be not something I would be allowed to do. But I figured given you're, what, almost two, 3,000 miles away, that maybe I could get away with it, Jim. And I think Iger has given me clearance to well, do that, too. If he I can do it, I can do it. Yeah, I know you do. I know well, you do. Well, I, I thought it was just a great yeah. call. Yeah, the analysts are Lilliputians. Uh, they, they just, they're nitpickers. Uh, this man has a vision. 
Uh, he should just, I think he shouldn't have any questions. He shouldn't be allowed to ask any questions. Well, come on. That's ridiculous. And, but what's interesting is that, that David, they call are moving. I know, but they are moving beyond sort of the near-term pressures. That is the beauty of what he's been able to accomplish here so far is he's gotten investors focused right. on this product, on its success, on its importance to Disney. And, I mean, all right, we still will talk about theme parks, which weren't bad, although Hong Kong, as you might expect, was under some pressure or China. Uh, we'll we'll right. talk about the studio, but really, all, and ESPN a little bit, but all we're really going to be talking about is Disney Plus, and conceivably that's what the stock price is going to be moving on. Well, David, the, the greatest part of the storyline last night was that they like it in the Netherlands. It plays in the, I mean, that used, that's like Peoria. It plays with the Dutch, yeah. so it has to work here. And, you know, I found myself thinking, yeah, of course. And I said, like, well, what does that have to do with anything? But, you know, I just got me <laughs> thinking, well, listen, if, uh, if Amsterdam life, Hamsterdam likes it, then, then New York will like it. And he can actually say stuff like that. And we say, well, yeah, sure, Netherlands. Yeah, that's our target market. Uh, the well, guy's ma- he's magical. He's the, he's, he's, he's the, the magical of, kingdom of a conference call. Uh, there's the cover of Business Week, which we talked about yesterday. Jim, you mentioned parks. Uh, Barclays, I mean, to the degree people are looking to quibble, uh, did have a piece earlier in the week about the Star Wars attraction at Disneyland, not seeing attendance pick up as much as prior rollouts like Avatar. I mean, how much is that wor- worth worrying about, if at all? Well, I, I think he did provide a couple-line explanation about why there may not be as many people. I felt good about it. Uh, I'm not worried. I think that he, again, he likes to answer the objections. Uh, and, and also, it really kind of see around the corner, like you mentioned with Hong Kong. I, I'm actually not worried about that at all. The only thing that I'd possibly be worried about is how good some of the things that he's talking about with uh, different divisions of Fox, how good are they? And then I was surprised that they only added 500,000 subs to Hulu. I thought Hulu was this juggernaut. I expected a million, maybe a million and a half. David, you have to, know, you have to bet, didn't you, that Hulu was a disappointment? Yeah, it was. I think it came in below. Listen, but uh, similar to Netflix, and it will raise questions about, about uh, that in the marketplace. Um, they are devoting the FX programming, as you said, to Hulu, so that will be showing up on the Hulu platform. Perhaps that'll help a bit. Um, but, yeah, that was below, I think, what people had been anticipating, Carl. Yeah. All right, All right Jim, we'll talk about perfect. Disney, of course, all morning long. Uh, the other big story this morning is the battle against right. the billionaires is heating up. Presidential hopeful Senator Elizabeth Warren taking another swipe last night at North Carolina's A&T University. You may have heard some billionaires on TV recently crying about that two-cent wealth tax. Aww. Aww. But we ask the top one-tenth of one percent to pitch in two cents on their fortunes. We can invest in an entire generation. All of that as reports that a billionaire is preparing to enter the presidential race. Former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg is expected to file paperwork this week in at least one state with an early deadline, Alabama, which uh, the deadline is today, although an advisor says Bloomberg has not made a final decision to run. Got other states with deadlines next week, like New Hampshire, so this picture will solidify here pretty quickly. 
Yeah. Uh, now, there are other states where they don't have deadlines or where independents can obviously not Republicans can vote. But he needed to get on. He needed to do this if he was even going to be considering it. Carl, it's funny, you know, you spend enough time as I do sort of talking to a lot of people as often as you can or meeting people with lunch or going to conferences. Any number of them will talk, wanted to talk about Bloomberg over the last few weeks. Ah, he's bored. He's looking for something to do. But he knows he can't win, so he's not going to run. That's what I kept hearing. So I was somewhat surprised to see this decision. Uh, just because while many people believed he wanted to do it, he, con- he consistently, I'd been told by people who were one away from him, didn't think that he actually could prevail in the Democratic primary. Perhaps in some fashion, the calculus has changed recently, given the ascension of Elizabeth Warren. Or, uh, uh, Jim, uh, if you listen to Frank Luntz on Squawk this morning, uh, whose line was Biden is collapsing, uh, maybe he does believe that uh, Biden's erosion in recent weeks does clear a path. Well, I had heard the chatter that this is something that, that Mayor Bloomberg wants to do. But I, I went to hear him speak uh, not that long ago. And he was talking about very wistfully about how he's just too old. Uh, I wonder whether the age of the people he's running against made him feel like that it's not Sunrise Senior Living, that there's just a lot of chance to be able to uh, be kind of in the middle of, of how people of the, the age group. I have to tell you, the Senator Warren stuff resonates because there's not enough billionaires to go around. And I wish the, it's funny. I mean, does she want the billionaires to lose all their money? Like maybe they go, maybe the billionaires should be investing, say, in a party city. Uh, cap. I mean, what, what does she want the billionaires to do? It, it, they're stuck being billionaires. There's not much they can do. They were very successful. <laughs> and, and unless they lose, right? I mean, does she want them yeah. to just invest in really bad cannabis stocks so that they are then people, of the, men of the people? They're going to have to generate quite a return to pay their tax bill every year. By the way, I, bol- I, thought, I thought it was 2% after $50 million on whatever is additional above that. But I thought it was 6% of, at a billion now under the, her Medicare proposal, Carl. Maybe I'm, i got to go to Robert Frank, who covers really? all of this. Yep. But I think it's more than $0.02 cents if you're a billionaire. Do you give, if it's a 40-foot yacht, do you give, say, 10 of the feet to the people... Meanwhile, sell the yacht. Sell Just the yacht. ask. Yachts you, are not going to go over well. Meanwhile, UBS has this report out today that the number of uh, billionaires or their wealth fell last year for the first time in three years, oh. and that China, Jim, but not mints, here though, right? And not in the Americas. Just global. Yeah, yeah. And that China mints a new billionaire every two to two and a half days. Two to two and a half days. Wow. I mean, you know, look, I got to tell you. When I listen to what Senator Warren's saying, she had some great stuff to say about how basically that a billionaire shouldn't have more votes than everybody else. I, I think that, you know, we're not in a younger state where a billionaire has more votes. But I think the thing that she's missing out is that it, these people, are, they have no choice. They're billionaires. They, th- that's just kind of what happened. Now, I do get sick of the billionaires always telling me that they grew up in a humble background. Hey, it's America. Yeah, Everybody was humble at one point. They were like, I'm humble, you're humble, this I guy's know. humble. They've all got I mean, their all, all, all their mythology, all humble, but... I know. Yeah. 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 I know. I mean, Listen, look, I we get don't that have part, right, Jim? Like, you know, yeah. Right. I mean, enough of that. But I do think that Senator Warren, she's running against them, and they're taking the darn bait. Listen, America's billionaires, because I know you watch. Shut up. Shut up and give <laughs> the money away. Stop talking. <laughs> Stop crying. Stop giving her the grist. I mean, I would love I'd love billionaires to shut up and give some money to causes. Hey, give some money to her. Then she'll really be confounded. Uh, there's really, yeah, you're right. There's no, there's no response to that. 
Jim, uh, when we come back, a special Rocky Mountain Mad Dash. As we count down to the opening bell, take another look at the pre-market here. we got to get to Navarro's making some comments on trade today. Upgrades of McDonald's, uh, United Rentals, and some others when we come back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, we got 12 minutes before we get started with trading here at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim, however, is not next to me, as you can see. He is at the Air Force Academy in Colorado. Doesn't stop us from doing a mad dash. Jim, uh, Art Peck is going to be stepping down as the chief executive at The Gap. Thoughts? Yeah, well, he fell into The Gap. We're more likely was actually to say pushed into The Gap. This is a man who'd been there for a long time. He was very interested in big data, by the way, but what he probably was interested in was finding things that people want to buy and make it so it's relevant. Uh, Gap has become irrelevant, and I don't know how anyone, I don't think, this is really a monumental task, David, to get this thing to turn around. Art was clearly not the man. They were going to split the company into, uh, I think, what, the Lusitania and the Titanic, and both not really great role models, and it didn't work. They may still split it. They're talking about that, but Art's gone. And the gap is fading away because it's not a place that people like to go. It turns out that's important. Right. Although they are going to still split into Old Navy yeah. and, and then the gap, uh, Banana and Athleta. I mean, that's still happening. And Fisher right. comes in. He's already well, once done right. it once before as interim CEO. But the numbers aren't pointing in the right direction. No, I picked those two uh, uh, ship uh, metaphors because of the idea that Old Navy, really the only thing left that still draws a crowd. David, you know what? It doesn't matter. If the, if the dogs won't eat it, it doesn't matter what kind of dog food you say that's new and improved. And Gap has not been able to be new and improved. It's got the same darn look, except for the Gap that I went to in Rome where they had some really attractive things. All it just seems like it is, as someone was mentioning this morning, 40% off. Missy Lee, 40% off, 40% off. No, you need to be everyday low price or you need to be online. And these guys are neither. I feel bad for them, David, but they are part of the mall infection. And they are irrelevant. There's no raison d'etre there, David. No raison d'etre. Harsh words. Weeklo, you know, like Irrelevant. French. Irrelevant. You know, like Camus. Sorry. Maybe they got to roll out the Irrelevant. Rome Gap. Yeah, relevant. All right. uh, coming up, that we're going to dig through the gorgeous. big... Is it? All right. Maybe one day, you know, on our retail roundabout, we'll hit that too. But uh, before that, we're going to go through some of the big movers of the morning. You can see them right there. Disney, of course, one of the keys. Uh, the other two also having reported earnings. We got uh, a lot more on tap for you. More on Disney, Activision, Blizzard, and a lot of other things. Don't go anywhere. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? 
more confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. After only five trading days, uh, Dow's up 2.3%, S&P up one6 Best month since June and August, respectively. Opening bells coming up in just over six minutes. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in just about three and a half minutes. Busy Friday, obviously. We've talked some Disney uh, and some Gap. Jim, the other big story is Navarro uh, saying that there is no agreement to remove any of the existing tariffs as a condition of phase one. But some reports today that he said uh, maybe you postpone uh, December 15. Where are we on trade this morning? Look, uh, when we hear Navarro, what we need to be thinking is President Trump. So, I mean, the idea that there's this guy out there who's kind of off the reservation, uh, who's a bomb thrower. Well, I got to tell you, that's just a a wrong analysis. I think uh, that Secretary Mnuchin and my old friend Larry, I had a show with Larry Kudlow, Kudlow and Kramer. I think that they certainly want some sort of compromise. But you have to understand that the thing that came down yesterday was they were discussing fentanyl. And what did they say? There is still no decline in the amount of fentanyl that comes in from JFK Airport. And when they're stuck, when they're talking about fentanyl, they are not talking about rolling back tariffs. So let's get let's understand that there is a false news perspective to those who think that the president is in there rolling up his sleeves and rolling back tariffs. That is not the game plan. And if you're buying stocks because of that, you will lose money. Uh, Yeah, apparently uh, told NPR this morning, want to save some ammo for phases two and three. Navarro, yeah, yeah, Navarro. phases. They're not interested in phases. That phases, we 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 care about phases in this country less than the Chinese. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting. The Chinese have been very vocal behind vocal behind the scenes, if it can be such a thing, that, of what our president's going to do. I find it fanciful. Like they know what he's going to do, he doesn't know what he's going to do. But uh, the, the, the president, she does. Are they dreaming over there? I mean, honestly, we got to start realizing that they, too, can make mistakes. There is nothing about the Chinese Communist Party that shows me that it's invincible and always right. And this long game, you can play the long game for 100 years and still be wrong. Well, given all that, it's interesting to see some of these uh, macro desks, Jim. Yesterday, it's J.P. Morgan. Uh, This morning, it's uh, Bamel uh, saying they see ISM going back above 55. JPM is unwinding its gold hedge, overweighting equities, underweighting bonds. You got uh, the Fed balance sheet back above $4 trillion. And the value of negative yielding debt back below $12 trillion around the world as this as curves all around the world have steepened. Yeah, I, I guess that's saying $12 trillion down from what is high of, of 16, 16, right? Trillion not that long ago. Although, still a conundrum, I've got to say. Uh, as we watch our own 10-year well, approach, I, 2%, Jim. Well, it's positive. I mean, that's what we wanted to see, right? I mean, I, this is the only market I've ever seen, David, where when rates shoot up, we start applauding. 
but maybe they did go too low. I think the funniest one, just in terms of kind of, uh, let's say, uh, the Wall Street funny man, a legendary Wall Street funny man, is the, uh, the rush to own Caterpillar up here uh, by Goldman Sachs when they didn't like it uh, in the 130s. And this is what's going on. I mean, Wall Street is uh, frantically trying to buy the cyclicals. So I would tell you it's probably time to buy the drug stocks. Let's get the opening bell here in the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. On the big board, it is Juniper Industrial Holdings, a blank check company targeting North American industrial business, celebrating an IPO. At the Nasdaq, EC Moho, marketer and distributor of health and wellness products in China. And with that, Jim, you mentioned the Golden Call, where they upgrade Terex and Manitowoc and United Rentals and Oshkosh, all on the uh, idea that uh, construction equipment inventories are peaking and rental utilization rates are bottoming. Yeah, that's a tough call because one of the things you have to do is you have to anticipate moves rather than be after moves. And yes, I do believe Caterpillar could have more upside. My, my charitable trust owns a big position in it. But the fact is, is that now if we do get uh, more tariffs, then you're going to be you're buying Caterpillar probably 15 points too high. Uh, more tariff. If we, this is just a hapless call, frankly. It's a reactionary call, and it tends those calls tend not to work. I'm far more into the calls that are about creative destruction and what Google's doing to the online travel agencies and the disruption that I'm seeing once again by out west, by the Facebooks to the traditional uh, media companies, it's still worth talking about because I find it's on the top of mind for a lot of traders that I deal with. A um, couple of stocks watching this morning. I want to start off, you know, back to China for a second if I can, guys, with Alibaba, uh, which we haven't talked about that often. you got Singles Day coming up, 11-11. They did, what, $30 billion last year. I think it's over five years ago that I was actually there on the ground interviewing Jack Ma at the time. But it grows every year. But more importantly are the stories now out today, a number of different places, including the Wall Street Journal, saying they are going to be moving ahead with what could be anywhere from a 10 to $15 billion offering to list on the Hong Kong exchange. Uh, and there had been a lot of questions slash concern among some of the investors, at least that I've spoken to, what would be the dilution from potential uh, listing there in Hong Kong. Uh, and despite the unrest uh, in that uh, in that city, uh, they are moving ahead, or at least these reports all have that being the case. I as well am hearing same. Um, interesting because they're going to be raising, obviously, capital. It's an, it's straight equity there, so they'll have an equity listing as opposed to an ADR listing here. But also because, uh, remember, they originally wanted a list in Hong Kong, but the requirements there, the VIE structure they had, they didn't meet the requirements. That changed. They now do. They came to New York in part as a second choice. But, Jim, it'll be the first time that the actual users of the product are able to buy the stock, at least in their local market. Because all the investors here don't use Alibaba. But over there, they're a lot more familiar with the company in terms of at least actually using the product. True. I think it's, I've used the product uh, for uh, one of our restaurants. It, it's a fabulous product. And, and I do believe that what's going to happen is it's actually a good thing. Alibaba's financials look remarkably like United States financials. Unlike the junk that they pump out where it's just really impossible to understand 
Uh, Alibaba looks and acts like an American company. David, Singles Day, we often talk about day. That's, a, of course, a celebration of rapacious, naked capitalism, which I always find funny given the fact that they are communists. Uh, but do you think, David, it's going to be up again because uh, just the kind of general belief that it's really the gift-giving time and so everybody should feel like they should go spend a lot of money? I mean, is that the kind of post-Maoist yeah. way that they deal with yeah, it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's yeah. a reflection of the consumer economy in, in China and the ability of people, obviously, to spend. Every year it has gone up substantially in terms of what they've done. They brought it globally, as you know. It's not just about now uh, the Chinese market. They do it in other, uh, other areas where they have uh, the platform as well, Jim. But, yeah, um, expectations are obviously it's going to be up. Celebrating people who are single, sending their gifts to them. It started as sort of as almost a just a marketing ploy and became this real thing, as you know. They they, they had earnings recently that were well received as well, uh, with still very very significant top line growth at the overall company. Well, David, is this kind of like what? Remember, Amazon's developed a kind of a Singles Day thing. Remember, you you've got that Amazon holiday that. That tends yeah, to not day. really that be all that religious or presidential, but it seems like they've they've actually taken their their cue from a uh, from the communist Chinese who are extraordinary givers. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Well, they got a lot of billionaires over there. What was that number? How many sec- how many billionaires minted in China? How often? Every one every two to two and a half no. days got on it. a larger base, yeah, obviously, larger base. right? Yeah, larger base. Okay. You know, they used to execute billionaires over there. I mean, I know that is not Warren's theme, but remember when they executed them, you know, or sent them to, to concentration camps? I don't think that that is never going to be the case here. I just want to make that that point. No, that's true. I mean, they did discontinue to disappear people over there. Uh, Chairman Wu, remember him? We never, I'm buying, never heard from him oh, again. Yeah. Hey, they're disappearing yeah. some fentanyl sellers. Some of the, there was a fentanyl seller that got disappeared yesterday. They, uh, they said they're going to execute him, but they give him a two-year stay. I mean, maybe that's one of those things that once they get the tariffs rolled back, they, they uh, make it so that he goes free again. But uh, honestly, the White House is concerned about the amount of fentanyl that comes in. I think people feel like I'm joking about that. They have to understand, no, this is a precondition of any rollback is the fentanyl sales have to stop here. Hey, you know what? They're not giving fentanyl to each other there on Singles Day. Right. No, they're not, thankfully. Right? Um, yeah. Right. Uh, they give it to us for right. Singles Day. Yeah. Unfortunate. Uh, Jim, uh, moving on yeah. to some stocks. Yesterday we saw this uh, incredible decline in shares of Expedia as well as TripAdvisor in part because of changes and their inability to have to get as much out of search engine optimization. Um, the rise of the platforms for the travel companies and people going directly to those platforms as opposed to going through a Google search. Give me your take here as we watch shares of Expedia rebounding ever so slightly after that dramatic fall yesterday. Well, I, I have it my old life when I was involved with the street.com periodically you would get these Google algorithm changes. So you would be, like, say, number one in, or two in the queue. And next thing you know, you're number 17 in the queue. And you're, you, you don't get any, any signal at all that Google's going to do this. Remember, I mean, there was a Yelp call last night where Estoppel mentioned this is something that happened to Yelp. So what happened is all these guys dropped dramatically. Also, by the way, not talked enough about Expedia raised its rates to a lot of hotels, a lot of inns, a lot of motels. They don't like that either. So Expedia was trying to make it up by charging his clients a lot. 
And they are, they are so down in the queue for Google. Well, I, I, they were all shocked. They didn't see it coming because Google does these midnight algo changes. And Google, of course, is one of the most powerful forces on Earth. Yes. I mean, in part, it just points out the power of the platform itself, that it can, changes like that can have that kind of, uh, of impact. And then, of course, the solution is to pay, which just benefits the same player that just changed your place in the algo. Just an amazing amount of leverage on, on they Google. Ought to, they ought, the government ought to investigate them for that. Well, that is kind of their plan. The, the, yeah. The algorithms. Hey, I mean, what happens? I mean, I've been, I've been in one where, like, I woke up the next morning and I say, hey, like, the street, like, we're, like, number 17. What happened? And, and the, the person who's in charge said, oh, they changed the algo last night. I said, did they give us any heads up? He said, no, they just changed no. it. I've never been in a business where the most powerful force in your business is somebody so capricious that they change the algo at midnight. And you suddenly are no longer a factor. Well, the, the train's great when you're uh, when it's a tailwind, uh, tougher when it's a headwind. Jim, uh, Zillow Group, uh, narrower than expected loss, revenue ahead, uh, good forecast. You seem to think maybe the home flip model uh, has, might have some traction here. I have been very doubtful. I mean, do you really want to get in the home flip business uh, when rates are going, uh, you know, mortgage rates are going to zero and you still weren't doing well? But this was a remarkable quarter. And they did talk about a Marine veteran by the name of Tim. They did a little kind of uh, allegory who was able to sell his house and buy his house pretty much in six days. It resonated. When I was on the call, I said, I don't know. I didn't like this model, but maybe they have hope for it. And people are buying into it. So they've got the agents. That business kind of peaked. So now they're in the home flip business. Now, everybody was in the home flip business in 2007 and 2008 got, got blitzed. But these guys may have technologically solved a lot of problems. I'm still skeptical, but less skeptical than I was before this quarter. Um, all right, guys, wanted to uh, stay focused to a certain extent on uh, Xerox and, uh, and uh, HP Inc. Um, in today's uh, Faber report. It's going to go quiet for a bit, it would seem, here as the HP board uh, takes in the offer, of course, it received a couple of days ago, $22.17 of which is cash, the remainder in uh, Xerox stock, and decides what it wants to do, beyond, obviously, that statement that we got from them uh, a couple of days ago. This would be actually deliberating and responding uh, and making a decision as to whether they want to uh, either entertain uh, talks to potentially be acquired and or uh, say, no way, not at this price at least. Uh, could be next week, could be, from what I understand at least, perhaps as long as a couple of weeks before we hear from them. But in the meantime, a couple of points of history that I think are worth pointing, uh, worth sharing here that I've learned along the way. Uh, you know, in HP's initial response, they had referenced the fact that the, these two companies were well acquainted and had had sort of conversations in the past. Uh, that was not the very distant past. That was the very recent past. In fact, as, uh, as recently as two months ago, Hewlett Packard had been in talks to acquire Xerox, uh, according to uh, people familiar with the situation. Those talks went on for quite some time, I'm told, a number of weeks. They, in fact, even occurred after the announced departure of, uh, of Dion Weisler. Uh, and so they took place in, let's call it late August, into September. Uh, and they did involve uh, what was the exchange of information, um, in-person meetings. They 
conducted due diligence, at least some portion of due diligence. They discussed synergies. They signed off on the fact that they believed the regulatory uh, requirements for the deal would be met, that there wouldn't be any real regulatory opposition to it. Uh, but according to people uh, I've spoken to, um, HP wanted more time. They wanted another three months to continue to do due diligence. And at that point, Xerox said, no, we're done. Now, there may be disputes about why, in fact, they walked away from it at HP. Are there questions they have, perhaps, about uh, Xerox's business in terms of going forward from here? Whether or not they've taken the costs out and now are going to have to look for some sort of revenue increase, which they do not believe perhaps would be forthcoming. That remains sort of questions. But these two companies talked very recently is the key here, with HP potentially wanting to buy them. Who initiated it? I'm uh, it, unclear. It seems as though it may have been part of a talk that they'd had because, remember, they have entered some cooperation agreements just about consolidation in their business. Xerox finally said after uh, what was fairly, fairly significant talks, okay, we're not going to let you go another three months. We're going back to focus on getting out of this joint venture, which they successfully did, which, by the way, they closed on today. We should point out the $2.3 billion that they're getting from pulling out of the 57-year-old joint venture they had with Fujifilm and obviously the elimination of any ability of, of Fuji to potentially uh, block a potential deal. So now Xerox makes their move and now we sit and wait. But it is interesting to note that these two companies very recently, Jim, had discussed a deal HP was engaged. It does appear that they didn't push back on the synergies or on regulatory, but they wanted more time, and Xerox wasn't willing to give it to them in terms of even more due diligence. Yeah, look, David, I, I think they've made no uh, bones about how they, they have what I would describe as a returns-based framework to evaluate M&A, meaning no one from uh, in the work that I do is saying, hey, this was never going to happen. It's stupid. Now, there is a, another sense, which uh, some of the people I think at, at, at HP believe that Xerox is a little too desperate because they want, uh, uh, there's a plan that Enrique laid out that I think has some, uh, some resonance. But you're right, David. I mean, it, it, I think that if they felt that there could be an even better return, they would do this. But they don't think there's a great return versus their own plan. I think, David, you've been dead right on everything, which is that it just does not seem to be a lot of antipathy. There does seem of the people to believe in, in HP. Why don't you give us a try, Xerox? What's the hurry, Xerox? Why can't you wait a bit? But, you know, again, I, the tenor of all of this is, hey, you know what? These guys are good guys. It's not what we think. And when you talk about whether there'll be a proxy fight, I think a lot of HP people feel that won't happen because there isn't, there isn't animosity. There's no animosity, and that would spike animosity. David, do you hear proxy? Because what I hear is, wow, that would be a surprise. We, we kind of like them. I, we wouldn't think that they would do that. Yeah, I know. I think it's a distinct possibility that Xerox would. They seem to be very anxious to try to get something done. You can ask the reasons why they're acting with such dispatch, but it wouldn't surprise me if, in fact, they get a full rejection that they would want to bring it to shareholders, Jim. But you know what? That's a little ways down the road. Wow. The first thing we have to wait for here, of course, is simply HP's actual response uh, and whether it will result in um, some sort of conversation, which clearly they've already had to a large extent or whether it will be a rejection and then Xerox has to decide what they're going to do. Um, 
Carl, I know we got to get to the broader markets as well, so let me send it over back to you. Yeah, let's get uh, to Bob Pisani with the Dow down nine, Disney adding about 35. Morning, Bob. Morning, guys. Happy Friday. Week open two to one, declining to advancing stocks, but we're off of the lows. It's sort of a reversal of the trends this week. So consumer staples, defensive, have been down this week. They're up. Uh, Energy is giving up a lot of the gains, unfortunately. Tech flat. Uh, banks small, giving up of the gains. But boy, what a great week it's been for banks because you got a 20 basis point move in the 10 year, and that's creating. Some very interesting rotation. A lot of theories about whether this is going to last. So you got banks up nicely this week. New highs in a lot of the regional uh, banks. Home builders getting hit. Utilities are, are, are down. Uh, I don't know how far this is going to go with the yield changing, but it's got a lot of people talking about what's going on. So if you look at elsewhere what's going on here, we've seen the ETF flows all into bond funds this year continuing, and people are astonished. We're 15% increase in the amount of money, assets under management for fixed income this year, kind of flat for equities and ETFs. So people are still putting money. And the question is, are they going to stop doing that if we feel there's some kind of bottom in yields at this point? Some of the stock bulls are arguing this could provide a little fuel going into the end of the year if money goes out of bonds and into stocks. We have seen that this week. That's exactly what's been going on in terms of the flows. We all know what the long-term story is. Mostly the time, we all agree, bond yields are going to stay lower for longer. We've got the aging population, lower yields in exchange for safety, policy uncertainty out there, and demands outstripping supply globally for, for bonds, even at these low yields. So nobody's saying there's going to be a revolution, but just talking about what might happen going into the end of the year here. Alibaba, I know uh, Jim and uh, David were talking about it here. This is a very interesting to me for a simple reason. $10 billion on a secondary with a $490 billion market cap, they're going to be listing in Hong Kong. It's a secondary because they list here. That's a pretty small amount for a $490 billion market cap, and it raises questions about why are they listing with just $10 billion. A lot of people feel that they want to expand their, their ownership base. They've got 600 million users in China. You think they might be interested in owning Alibaba stock? I think so. That makes a lot of sense to me. Will Chinese investors value Alibaba higher than U.S. investors have been? It's trading at about 25 times forward earnings. They certainly don't need the cash. Maybe there's some hope out there that they'll get the stock price higher. There's some evidence to support this. If you Take a look at Alibaba. They first started talking about this listing. It was kind of vague, but it was way back in May. It was right about here. And you can see Alibaba has been outperforming not only the U.S. market, but the Chinese market ever since that. And it's been particularly strong in the last few weeks as it's become clear that the listing is actually now very, very real. So I don't know. Maybe another theory is that they want a backstop in case China-U.S. relations go south and things really get bad. That's a little cynical, but that also may be playing into this. All I can tell you right now is a lot of interest over there and possibly uh, uh, getting into Alibaba. 25 times forward earnings. You know, guys, that's uh, pretty modest for a company that's still growing, what, 40% a year right now? Back to you. Bob, thanks. Uh, Bob Pisani, let's get to the bond pits as well. Check in with Rick Santelli. As we mentioned, the 10-year getting close to 195. Hey, Rick. It is. And, you know, I, I listened to what Bob said, and, you know, there, there is a refrain. Some people refer to this refrain towards the Fed, some to the market, some to both on rates, lower for longer. You know, the Cubs won a World Series in 2016, Carl, and everybody thought there was going to be a dynasty. Well, whenever I hear lower for longer, I somehow think of that notion. Lower for longer might not be what it's cracked up to be. Just consider all these one-week charts, which happen to also be month-to-day charts. Two-year note, up 12 basis points on the week. Look at a 10-year, 
up 22 basis points on the week, along with a 30-year bond. I know yesterday many were talking about one of the most aggressive days since November 8, 2016, when uh, Donald Trump won the election. Well, not quite. Uh, you know, we had a nice update yesterday, almost 10 basis points on the long end. But on that day, in November 2016, we closed up 20 basis points on the one session after election results. Boons, Boons and Gilts. Look at Boon chart. Look at the Gilt. They're each up 14 basis points on the week. And finally, there's the dollar index. It is up over 1%, whether you look at it month to date or on the week, over a cent. And this is coming off of what was a horrible October with regard to the dollar index when it dropped double what it's already gained back in the first week of November. And finally, anybody who participated in the auctions most likely is on the losing side of what will be settlement next week. We want to watch these levels closely. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll see in a few minutes uh, for some data. When we come back, the war on wealth. Former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman Blinder is going to weigh in on that with the Dow pretty close to the vest here, S&P 3084. Don't go away. Keep your eye on Gap. Uh, holding 16 for now. They warn on the quarter, slashing their guide. Art Peck steps down, effective immediately. And, of course, we now wonder whether or not Old Navy stays or goes. City says it'll probably stay. A lot more with Jim from Colorado Springs in a minute. As we said at the top of the hour, Jim's got a very special show tonight on Mad Money. Jim, we talked about it for a moment, but tell us what we're going to see. Well, we're going to salute to the troops, obviously. These are uh, great men and women who have really uh, dedicated themselves to our country. Uh, at a very rigorous institution, as you know, Carl, because you're, you're out here. This is a school they don't fool around. You've got to be incredible at athletics, not just academics. A lot of these schools we know are incredible at athletics and nothing else. This is, this is academics first. And then we have Kevin Johnson. Is there anyone more dedicated to hiring uh, uh, people who are veterans other than Kevin to celebrate Veterans Day? Maybe uh, David's Jamie friend Dimon. from Tufts, Jamie Dimon. But that's, uh, those are the two that stand out. We I, salute them, I, and we're going to salute the people who signed what did. I would throw Anthony Noto in there, and, uh, I mean, not humbly, our own parent company, Comcast, as well. We do a fair amount of work on that. Absolutely. Home Depot? Yeah, absolutely, and I would include them. If Home Depot, very good, too, and particularly for disabled. Uh, they are, let, let's just say all of these companies really care, but the Kevin has been developing a particular Mil ex-military program for uh, stores that are run by the military. And I think that's important. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.